Hi, welcome to episode 4 of Activate, my podcast where I'm having 16 conversations with survivors of and people working in the field of gender-based violence. My hope is that by listening to this podcast, you'll come away understanding some of the issues and the nuances of domestic violence, and that you'll feel ready to do some simple and easy activism yourself, so that we can all work together to end gender-based violence for good. Today, my guest is Amanda Warburton Wynn. Amanda is both a professional and a researcher, and the work she does into the links between older adults disability and domestic violence is so needed. Amanda and I are going to talk about the impacts of carer abuse and when we started talking about this and Amanda posted a little bit about it on LinkedIn I noticed that there was a little bit of a misconception that was coming up. So what we're talking about specifically is not abuse by paid carers although that is something that definitely occurs We all remember scandals like the Winterbourne Views Panorama episode. What we're talking about today is family carer abuse. So where the person providing the care is a family member or is a a partner, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Amanda mentioned that a lot of people view these carers as heroic people stepping up to look after their loved ones selflessly. But in reality, it's much more complex than that. And as you'll hear from our conversation, these people are in a position of power which actually leaves them uniquely open to do quite a lot of harm, if that's their choice. I hope you listen with an open mind and by the end of our conversations come to understand the unique risks that disability poses to survivors of domestic violence. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. So for our listeners, could you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do? Yeah, of course. So I'm Amanda Warburton Wynn. In my day job, I work for Cambridgeshire County Council as part of our Domestic Abuse and Sexual Violence Partnership. I lead on communications and awareness and also older people and people with disabilities. But outside of work, I also do research into those same kind of areas, particularly around abuse and violence of older people and people with physical and learning disabilities. Brilliant. People who listened to the first episode will know that as a disabled survivor myself, this is a topic very dear to my heart. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what is different for survivors of abuse who have disabilities. For a person with disabilities who's experiencing abuse, the types of abuse will often be the same. Um, There'll be physical abuse, there could also be sexual abuse, financial abuse, but it's their ability to protect themselves from that abuse that can be different to somebody without disabilities. They might be actually relying on the person that is abusing them to also provide care and support for them with daily living, in which case it can be extra difficult to stop that abuse happening because they'd be worried about what might happen to them if they've got no care to support them. Mm. Research shows that for women with disabilities, their 
twice as likely to experience domestic abuse as women without disabilities. And that's because they already have a vulnerability by being a disabled person, but also the additional vulnerability of the domestic abuse as well makes it twice as likely, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Is it that the women have the disabilities and then get into abusive relationships or is it that they become disabled over the course of the relationships? How, how does it often work? It can be both ways. Perpetrators of domestic abuse will target people who they see as being vulnerable, that they will easily be able to have some power and control over. And they may see that a woman with disabilities, if it's a physical or learning disability, that they would be able to have more control over that person. So sometimes they do target victims in that way. But also it can be abuse that has been going on for a long time and the victim can become disabled, which can also be as a result of the abuse as well. There are research papers around the number of women who experience head trauma from physical violence and the long-term impact that that actually has on their physical health as well. And of course, there's also a lot of research out there about just the impact that trauma has on our bodies and how autoimmune conditions can result from traumatic experiences as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Trauma is something that I think a lot of people don't think about and particularly the trauma that can occur after an abusive relationship has ended as well. There seems to be a bit of a misconception that once the abuse has ended, then everything's okay and persons can sort of go off and live their happy, safe life. But that definitely isn't always the case that trauma can continue for a long time so how do we support these I was going to say women but I'm sure it is of people of all genders how do we support these survivors I think there is a gap at the moment in the understanding of both professional domestic abuse support services and in organizations that um, provide care adult social care and carer support I think both sides need training on the other side's sort of work, if that makes sense. If somebody with a disability goes to a domestic abuse service, they might find that they don't know that much about their situation. If the abuse is being perpetrated by somebody who's caring for them, the domestic abuse service might not know as much about issues around care and support as perhaps an adult social care or carers organisation would but equally if you go to a carers organisation they are unlikely to know very much about domestic abuse. So I think a key thing is the upskilling of staff in both areas of work so that it doesn't matter which organisation type you go to for support they actually have an understanding of your situation and the additional risks that you're at because of that abuse. Mm-hmm. And does it impact when you're doing safety planning with the survivors themselves as well? Yeah, it definitely does. With the standard risk assessments that are used across the country for domestic abuse, they are generally focused on younger people, on intimate partner relationships, and don't take into account the additional risks that can be there through disability or health issues or risks through age, and also the risk that the person who is abusing you is also providing your care. But equally, carers' assessments, which are usually done either by a local authority or by a commissioned organisation, they don't ask about the risks around domestic abuse. They might ask, ask something around adult safeguarding, but that won't necessarily touch on domestic abuse as such. 
So it means that basically risk assessments just aren't picking up those additional risks for whether it's an older person or a person with disabilities, they're not being picked up in the risk assessment, which means then the safety planning going on from that, it's harder to evidence the need for support for that person. And also are issues around what is available to support people with disabilities and older people. Many refugees don't have access for wheelchairs or they might have they might have had access for wheelchairs 60 years ago, but wheelchairs today tend to be a, a bit bigger, so they can't get in. They very rarely cater for people with learning disabilities. Most refugees don't cater for men. There are only a couple for men. And particularly older people wouldn't want to go into a refuge in most cases because it would be very different to their usual lifestyle. They may need care and support, which they can't have in the refuge is easily and a refuge is generally full of younger people with children which might not be suitable for an older person so even once you've done the risk assessment and you're onto safety planning it's very hard to actually find those safe places so it sounds like not only are people with these additional needs more at risk of being abused they're also it's going to be much harder for them to leave in a way that is safe if at all Absolutely. And that's why we find that people who have got those additional vulnerabilities will often choose to stay in the situation they're in because it's actually easier for them than the options that they've got if they choose to speak out or they choose to leave. Their options are likely to be things like they might have to leave their home they're in, which could have been adapted for their physical disability. If they've got to leave that home, they've got to find somewhere else that is adapted for them, which is unlikely to happen or can take a long time. Or they might end up having to be placed into a residential home, which is often not what people want, particularly if it's a younger person. We sometimes find that younger women with disabilities, there's no place for them. So they're put into an older people's residential home to keep them safe from the abuse. And that is absolutely not the environment they want to be in. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to do to fill this gap? I think firstly, there needs to be more recognition from the top, really, from the Domestic Abuse Commissioner around these additional vulnerabilities and the real risks that these victims are at. And I think that also needs to be shared amongst the public. I think there is a public perception that people with disability don't experience abuse and that somebody who is caring for somebody is always a sort of perfect person that's looking after this poor disabled person or this poor elderly person. And the public tend not to consider the possibility of abuse. And I think until I think until the government are saying this happens and until the public recognise that this is definitely happening and we can start some real awareness about it, that's when we can look at how to get funding for whether it's specialist refuges or easier ways for people to escape the abuse. And there's always the thing with all survivors of abuse that the victim is always the one that has to leave. And obviously, if it's a person with a disability or an older person, that is so much more difficult. And why should they have to leave? There, there should be much more options for them. But that does need to come from the top. Mm -hmm. So for people who are listening to this, who are thinking, oh, wow, I didn't know this was a thing. Are there any sources of information out there that they can turn to? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's difficult because 
I mean, yeah, there's bits of research around it, but the average person doesn't want to sit and read a boring academic paper. I will say that a few years ago, 2016, an organisation called Shaping Our Lives, who are a user-led organisation for people with disabilities, they actually undertook a project around women with disabilities and their access to support both refuges and outreach support for domestic abuse. And they published a really good report, but it really did work with survivors about what their experiences were right from when they first reported what was happening to them through support from different services, including police and social care, and actually what could have made that better for them. And the project came up with two reports of recommendations. One was for refugees, and a lot of that was around physical adaptations, but there was also one that was more aimed at commissioners and social care around recognising the additional signs and thinking more creatively about how you can support a victim, whether they have a disability or they're an older person, so they've got additional needs. It was called A Refuge for All. I'll pop a link for that report in the show notes of this. So if people are interested, it'll be nice and easy for them to find. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. It's been wonderful to have a snapshot insight into this topic. And Mm. (laughs) yeah, very glad we've got you on the case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, There there is just so much I could say, but it's really hard to pick out the bits that are important and to Mm -hmm. say what people can actually do. Because I think there's one thing saying, oh, this is a problem, but actually saying, well, what can we do about it is a whole different issue. Wow, what a conversation, right? Amanda was a delight to interview. And I came away feeling so validated in the things that I'd experienced and also really fired up to do something about this. So in the show notes, I've included a link to the report that Amanda mentioned. I would love it if we could all give it a read. And I've thought long and hard about how we can turn this into some activism. What I would love to invite you to do is to go away and read the report yourself, or even just the summary of it, and then email your local MP asking whether in your area the recommendations of this report have been put into place. I think we often see our MPs as these distant, faceless people who vote on things in Parliament, And yet, actually, I know from correspondence with my own MP about the issues that matter to me, when a constituent poses them a question, a good MP will go to bat for their local people, will find out the answers, will put the pressure on, will raise things in Parliament. Domestic violence was really talked about in Parliament while the bill was going through. But let's keep the pressure up. Let's keep reminding them that the work isn't done and that by focusing on the provision that their refuges have for disabled people and the physical access, by making sure that their services know what to do and know how to support survivors of abuse who've also got additional disabilities, whether that's in the care sector or in the domestic violence sector, we can make a real change for these people who are particularly vulnerable. Tomorrow, my guest is Suzanne Hamilton. Suzanne is a very busy woman. She has her own counselling and mental health services. She works with survivors of domestic abuse. She really has a, a lot of fingers in a lot of pies. 
We're going to be talking particularly about the psychological impacts of domestic violence and how the support that survivors need after leaving relationships. And we're also going to focus a little bit about the impact on the children who are growing up in these abusive relationships. It's another fantastic listen and I hope you can join us. (laughs) 